and welcome back to another edition of Riding the Pine Podcast. This will be episode six. I'm here, Brendan Snow, alongside me, Andrew Zimmel. We're back from a pre- pretty long, feels like break. We had that long winter break come up. Things, a lot of sports things happened. Didn't get to touch on the podcast. We'll review it, catch up a little bit, talk about what's happened this past weekend, what's coming up in Texas State sports, what's been going on nationally. A lot of busy stuff as we turn over into 2018. Make sure you stay tuned. All right, and since we're back, 2018, I've got Andrew Zimmel here with me, who had an interesting weekend. We'll get we'll get to that more later. We'll go ahead and start with some Texas State stuff. I didn't think we were going to make it to 2018, honestly, Brendan. I mean, we started 2017 with Hollyweed, right? Remember that? And now I didn't think we were going to make it. Here we are, one year later, and we're we're still doing this. It's crazy. Yeah, it seems like we have a, a, a world. The world's getting ready to end. It feels like every every month or something, just something crazy is coming up. Like oh, what, why now the government shut down? You know. Oh yeah, no. Well, actually, if you listen to the KTSW news people, they just told me the government shutdown's over. So that's interesting. Yes, I guess whatever we're recording this, it just ended. So that's nice. Uh, like like I said though, uh, I'm very selfish, Brendan. I will we'll talk about a little personal stuff first. So my car broke down two weeks ago. Uh, tire blew out, bent my frame, uh, the whole nine yards. Right. We moved on from that. Um, but I need a new car and my parents or my dad was going to go on a business trip. Well, you can't fly when the government shut down. So I was just, you know, I was feeling pretty happy with myself. He had a couple more days to, you know, look for me, look for some wheels for me. Well, now the government shutdown's over. So we're back to me having to be an adult looking for my own car. So if anybody has a car for like, say under, I don't know, $2,000, slide me a DM, man. Shoot me a text. Let's get this going. Yeah, it was a whole saga this past weekend, some crazy stuff, Andrew. And then he came back the next day. He got his emotions a little bit higher and he was happy. I was following the uh, the Vikings miraculous, what do you call it? The, the Minnesota, Minnesota Miracle. Minnesota, Minnesota Minneapolis. Miracle. No, Minnesota. Minnesota. That, that, that's the term we're using now, Minnesota Miracle. And then last night, of course... 38 to 7 loss. I mean, what what are you going to do? You can't you can't do much with that. So, we'll yeah, build on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll touch on that later, but it's just the 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 roller coaster you've been on lately personally. Me, I've been, you know, I've been hanging out, I'm doing all right. Just That's got, good. I'm glad. Stayed afloat 2018, nothing, you know, drastic happened to me yet. Class is not looking too bad so far. You know, it did look bad this past weekend. Texas State basketball. Ooh. Yeah, Texas State men's basketball did have they did struggle a lot. Uh, 80 to 55 loss to Louisiana Lafayette uh, on the men's side. On the men's side, of course, on the women's side, that was a loss too. And now I feel the women's loss, um, not as bad because it didn't didn't hurt as much because they got Coach Generate Antoine's 100th win uh, that week before the Thursday before the Saturday loss. So I mean, it's nice. Um, it, it's nice to you know get that big win. Then emotionally, you can't beat Louisiana Lafayette, so that's that's tough. But now they go on to the Georgia swing, uh, state and southern. Both those teams not very good. So I I would not worry if I was a Texas State women's basketball fan. Yeah, I mean interesting point because I thought the women's lost lost her a little bit just because you know we we started to put so much stock into this women's team. We thought they could pull out. It seemed like any you know any victory against anyone. And then in this game, it looks like it was close with the final score being 65-58, but it really wasn't that close. That was more of a, a back door. They got some points. You know, they made a little bit of a run late in the fourth, but it wasn't really that close most of the ball game. What do we call that, Brendan? Backdoor cover? A backdoor cover. Yeah, then, like we said, on the men's side, just 
80 to 55, a 25 point loss at home when they were hyping this game up. I remember uh, Thursday I went to the press conference, talked to Casper, Trey Nottingham, and Nigel Pearson. And we have that we have that Casper audio right now for you. I don't know. I, I, I just think that there was they, we got hyped up a lot, and it might be somewhat my fault about this game being for first place. Let's look. Give Louisiana Lafayette's defense some credit. And I want to put some blame on the anxiety or what's the word I'm looking for, the eagerness that we had going into the game to try to win this game. And I don't, I, you know, y'all are asking me some questions that are psychiatrist questions. Yeah, no, so you could tell that Casper wasn't very happy with the team. He, he felt that, you know, he emotionally pumped him up too much. He thought maybe the fans pumped him up too much. You can't have everything. You can't have your cake and eat it too, Brendan. You can't want fans to come out and then when you dis- when you disappoint, when you don't show up, Say like, oh, well, maybe we hype this game up too much. No, you either do a hundred, you do zero. I mean, yeah, because uh, after the Thursday game when they beat ULM uh, in the press game, I talked to, I asked some questions to Nigel and Trey Nottingham, and Nigel Pearson says, I asked him about the crowd Thursday night. It's a pretty decent crowd Thursday night. We were at that game, a solid crowd for a Thursday night, first week back of school. And Nigel's, you know, the crowd was great tonight, about so and so. Saturday, we're excited. I wish the game was right now. I'm ready to play. Uh, Talks about how pumped he is, and he goes, Saturday, if you like good basketball, Saturday, 4.30, Strand Coliseum, be there. And then they're going to deliver. And I mean, that's tough. I mean, I, you know, I like it when teams talk like that, you know, talk a little confidence, especially when you're on a six-game win streak. I think you've earned a little bit of confidence. Talk spicy, my guy. But, yeah, then it kind of came back, backfired on them. And then the men's team, inter- interesting test coming up. See, two Georgia schools, they're good. Texas State, they got their six-game win streak by playing the lower, all the lower-end Sunbelt teams. And now they're playing the... the for the top four teams in Louisiana and the two Georgia schools themselves. And we didn't get to mention, I haven't got to mention this to anybody but you, Brendan, but I think they can go They can go on a three-game losing streak right now after winning six in a row. This men's basketball team, man, they're hot and cold. I don't really enjoy the way that the ball moves with this team. It's not moving as quickly as it did uh, in the first half of the season, it feels like. It's not, you know, the ball just looks slow. And you can't, Nigel Pearson, who for all of his, you know, greatness, he was on the podcast earlier, a friend of the podcast, um, for all that he ha- for all that he has, he's not a great scorer. I, he's not like a natural scorer. So the the way he gets his points is free throws and you know get into the hoop. Yeah, he, 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 he works hard. He, he'll sneak some back. You know, he'll sneak some not good back cuts, some rebounds. Oh yeah, no, he, he, work for he does everything. He does assists and rebounds, but points I feel like are the hardest thing for him to get on this team. The, when the ball movement doesn't move, and especially when the Texas State men's team doesn't have a shooter, you don't have, you know, to mirror the women's team, you don't have a Tasha Levitt, you don't have a Taylor Deer uh, that can just shoot lights out. The, the defenders don't have to hold on to those guys in the corners. Now you got three guys hanging in the paint. Nigel can't get those points, and it's tough because, you know, Casper, that, that's where the offense goes. So there's been games he shot 8 for 20, 5 for like 17. That, those aren't great numbers. If you're shooting 20 times, like Taylor Deer shoots 20 times, she gets 20 points, she gets 36 points. You know, Nigel Pearson shoots 20 times, he might get 17. You just, you don't like to see that. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of the last time I've seen a Bobcat, you know, have a game, a tw- you know, like a 25-point game or anything like that. And Nigel, you know, when Nigel, if Nigel's giving you 15 to 20 a night, that's great. That's why you need those other people to step up. Early in the year, Tyler Blunt, he had, what, that 21-point game against UTSA, and he had some good shooting games. And we He's thought that he was going to be out completely. Oh, for sure. Marlon Davis goes down, Trey Nottingham steps in. Trey Nottingham's been hot since starting, but this last game he had just five points. Well, shooting... He, he, I mean, you step in. He's four and one as a starter right now. After I'm, I count that game that he won because uh, Marlon Davis the, only played five minutes. Yeah, the, the Troy game. Yeah, the Troy game. Yeah. So he 
he played five minutes. That Marlon Davis played five minutes. So I count that as you know and a Trey, win. And Trey played the whole last thirty-five minutes. He didn't get a break the whole entire time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So he he's doing a lot. He's doing a whole lot for this team. I'm liking the way he's playing. Um, but I don't know. I we we talk about really the X factor on this team is the Michael Beasley of the Texas State team is Alex Peacock. And I, I don't say that like Michael Beasley. You know, just he's a Alex Peacock is a hooper. Like he can hoop. He does a whole whole lot for this men's basketball team. I just wish that you know the leash was off him a little bit more. It feels like he's you know the sixth man that doesn't get you know he's he's a starter. He gets announced as a starter, but he's playing like six man minutes, seven man minutes. Yeah, especially the last few games, I definitely noticed the minutes down in that uh, Little Rock game. We hit the buzzer beater. He didn't play the previous ten minutes before that. And then the, you know it was, the, it was pretty much the last two possessions. He checked in for defense and then was just in for that offensive possession. And I, and I get it. I'm still trying to figure out his offensive game. He'll he'll knock down an open three if it's there. He'll be inside, get some rebounds, get some easy buckets inside. Nothing much in between. You don't. It's he feels like a three and D player, but with like the handles of a guard. That's kind of it, he can't create his own shot, but it just feels like he feels like he should be higher as as an option for this team. You know what yeah, I mean? Because if you if you watch a lot of Texas State basketball, you notice options. Definitely Nigel one. This is a two guy. It's Emmanuel King basically. The which senior, is diff- which it, is tough. Which, which is which is strange because they go to the post early in the game. They try to feed the post. Every, like, it seems like the first ten possessions, feed, whether it's Emmanuel King or if Eric Terry's in there, feed the post, feed the post, feed the post. Then they just go away from it as the game progresses. It feels like they get denied in the first five minutes to go in the post to kind of get those, you know, get those easy buckets in the uh, in the paint, and then they just stop for the rest of the game. It's a miracle that they scored fifty five points, honestly. Or even in that ULM game, how many games they scored? How many points in that ULM game? Fifty five. Fifty five. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's it's tough. It's you you want them to score more points. This is a team that was built to score more points than fifty five points. You know, so it's like it's difficult. I. I'm not going to say that Coach Casper can't do can't do any more with this team, but I think that I think that they are underachieving. I think that's the right word for underachieving for the expectations that we should be having for this team. Because yeah, they definitely showed the ability to score in conference: 62 against App State, 72 against South Alabama, 73 against Arkansas State, 72 in that Little Rock game. They can score. Now, do you say that's because of the poor teams that they're playing? I don't want to blame it just on the poor teams. I just, you know, you watch those games, they're just knocking down shots. We said Troy, they're not a great team this year. They won that game by one point. Marlon got hurt. They won that game 57-56, and they went in, it seemed like a 10-minute scoring drought at one point in the second half. They just go in these droughts, and when you, crunch time, you need a bucket, you need someone to get the offense sparked, you don't have anywhere to go for Texas State. Now I want to play an audio from Alex Gibbs from Bobcat Radio earlier today, talking about this men's basketball team trying to get to the NCAA tournament. If you want to make the NCAA tournament, you better be for dang sure that you can be able to convert in the paint. I feel like you're setting the bar really high for this team to make the NCAA tournament. Is I, that is that you think that's a fair I think estimate? It's, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm saying that it's possible. I'm saying that they can make it, and I, I hope think they it's do. possible. I no. do think it's possible. Now, here's my thing. The, the argument right now is okay. All you need to do is get into the Sun Belt Conference tournament. And you'll just make some shots. This is a team that's built, you know, to compete, right? I don't think that. I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can say right now that this team looks like a team that can go and win conference, right? We're only halfway through, and you know, I've said before, conference doesn't matter. All that matters is the tournament. But the way they're playing right now, I don't see them getting out of the second round of the tournament. Yeah, uh, definitely interesting because I think what happened early. You know, this game, the team started out playing some easier teams, blah, blah, blah. They were, I believe they were about 3-3 three and three 
They went under 500. They dipped under 500, I think, for like a game. Maybe like maybe it was like four and five or five and six. They're under for a game. Then they got that win streak going. They started beating some lesser teams, and once you know once they started out conference six and one, it was easy to put a lot of stock into them, saying, "Hey, you know, they got the second best record in the Sun Belt Conference. About to play the best team in the Sun Belt Conference." And we were just kind of. I, I heard Casper also said in that uh, Thursday post game, he said sometimes it's rather be lucky and good. He said that a couple times. He said we've been lucky on this streak. You know the, the Troy game, that dude missed a layup as, as time expired. He missed a layup. It was, it was on SportsCenter, not t- top ten play. As he just, <laughs> it was an easy finger roll right at the basket, missed it, and they get that one point. Alex Peacock hitting a, it seemed like, it seemed like it, how long that step back three was, like James Harden esque, how far he stepped back to knock that one down for the win. So even Casper said it rather be lucky and good sometimes. And I think we overlooked them being lucky, kind of. Fills in with them being good, and now we're going to see a real test for the Bobcats in this upcoming second half of the conference. If you're a men's basketball fan right now, you have to just take every win as a win, but you can't you can't look ahead. I think that you have to take it game by game. I know Casper is fighting for this to be a game by game deal, but I don't know uh, I don't know how far this team goes right now. As of this podcast, I can't I don't know how far this team goes. Yeah, so definitely we'll be making sure to check that out. They play Thursday. At 6:30, when they play at Georgia Southern, and they're gonna play on Saturday at 1:15, playing Georgia State. So pay attention to that Georgia trip. Flipping over to the women's side, Andrew, I know you had a piece come out over break. You've you've bought in a lot, big a lot of stock into Tasha Levitt. Talk to me about how good she's been. So Tasha Levitt has been lights out. She holds now the record for most career threes uh, as a Texas State women's basketball player with 100 and, or 201 uh, most in a season with 84. Oh, also mentioned she's a junior. And she a has junior. the career record. She's a junior. Yes. And then also uh, for a game, 10, 10 uh, three-pointers uh, in a single game. So I talked I talked a lot about how uh, this Texas State women's team has just been shooting lights out. They've got, you know, Taylor Deer is going to be up for Sunbelt Player of the Year. Uh, the argument right now is that a co-Sunbelt Player of the Year, Tasha Levitt, has been doing just as much as Taylor Deer. I'm not. I mean, Tasha Levitt leads the conference in scoring. Last I checked. Well, I'm not gonna, 18 a game. Well, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it should be co, but Taylor Deer does a whole lot for this team. Uh, more efficient scorer to me as she, well. She, she's the quieter one, and Tasha's the more flashy one, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I'd go. I, I agree with that. Uh, so this this Texas State women's team has been lights out. They've been doing so so well. Um, this is the team that if I was going to make a bold prediction, this is the one I would be betting more money on to see how far they go than the other way around. Interesting there. I don't know if I would lean that way. Nothing against the women's team. I think they can play, but they're just they're too they're too reliant on the outside shot to me. See, er- live or die by the three ball. Charles Barkley, three point shooting teams that have won a championship. So, okay, <laughs> this is the rebuttal to that. They're not just a three point three point shooting team. Okay, uh, the statistics will point the numbers that you just look at will point you that they just shoot the three ball, right? Okay, when you get into the Sun Belt Conference tournament, and we've talked to coaches you about this before, and we've talked to other coaches about this before. When you get in the Sun Belt Conference tournament and you know you're playing a three point shooting team, what is the first thing you do, Brennan? You play cl- tight on them. You try to deny that. Well, look how many players on this team can create their own shot too. They can get past their defender. There's nobody on this team that's slow of foot to me in the starting lineup. All of them can kind of either get to the rim and score uh, out of the scores. I'm not talking about you know bench players. Right now, out of the starting five that score the most points, so Brooke Holly, uh, Tasha Levitt, Taylor Deere, Erica May, those type of players, I think they can get to the rim and do 
what they do. I think Tasha Levitt, if the three ball doesn't work, I know we saw her earlier in the season have a couple three for 17, not three for 17 to that point, but have a couple yeah, really... She had a three for 17 game. Three for 17 game. Uh, a couple bad games for Tasha Levitt. I'm not going to... I, I think that if the three ball is not falling, I think that she has the range. She has the ability to get in. I, there's a whole highlight. I've made, I've watched whole highlight tapes of her making finger rolls, Brendan. So the, the, this is a scorer. I, I think see Tasha will love it as a scorer. I don't see her as a three point shooter. Interesting, interesting take. Cause I've, I've looked more into it. Cause I, I definitely think, you know, obviously the better in three point balls falling, that's when they're at their best, but you know, I'd like to see a game come up where, Say Tasha and Ta- and Taylor Deer are struggling from the outside. Them score more because I've seen Taylor Deer's game. She we call we call it a lost art. She's a mid range jumper specialist. She loves to pull up pull up at the elbows, stop on a dime, give him ten, nine cents and change. Pull up right there and knock that tr- shot down. She I've seen her score in different ways. I've seen Tasha score a few different ways, and them two really create for most of the offense. They help get Brooke and get Erica May and uh, Massaquas some of these other baskets by them creating. Now, if anything happens to one of these two players, you know we we can't you don't ever want to wish ill on anybody but if something were to happen to one of those two players i think this entire season uh falls apart because you need to have both of them you can't have one or the other you need to have both of them playing at the same time you know just as like a, a really soft loose comparison that i threw out the other day it's it's a, they're like our damian Lillard and cj mccollum you know it's okay yeah no i agreed with that i thought that that was an okay comparison they're, they're both kind of two backcourt guards i can play both positions point yard and shooting guard create for others score in a variety of ways it's just like a you know stock comparison it seems kind of neat but so check out you know check out this women's team when they play their next game also be georgia be going to georgia southern georgia state this upcoming week yeah, both those teams are not very good brendan those yeah. those those two teams don't those two teams should be teams that the Bobcats roll over. Now, Coastal Carolina is the team that's directly below the Sun Belt, below the Texas State Bobcats in the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, They'll play them right after that Georgia trip back here in San Marcos. Exactly. So that's the game that I have circled on my calendar. I think that the Bobcats yeah. win both of these games. I think that that's that's a game that you look ahead to and say, hey, this is going to be a tough game. Yeah. You know, they lost to Coastal earlier this year in Conway by one point, sixty-five, sixty-four. So you know, this upcoming game, revenge game, try to get back at them, and. You know, get ready for the re- get ready for the girls to close out the rest of their season. And I mean, they're right there. They're knocking on the door for that number one seed in the Sun Belt Conference. I know last year they kind of struggled in the Sun Belt tournament. I think Coach uh, Z has them set up very well this year. All right, let's go ahead and uh, a lot of good stuff right there. The men and women's basketball, a lot of good stuff. Make sure you check that out a couple of times. Flipping over some some national stuff. And Joe, go ahead and start with this one. We'll get this one out of the way. You came yelling in the apartment last night. Tony Parker was stripped of the name as starting point guard for the San Antonio Spurs. And let me break this down why this is so important. And I think people are kind of overlooking this. Tony Parker, 2007 Finals MVP, four-time champion. You look at some of the other players that are net mentioned in the all-time great foreign players. You got, you know, Akeem Olajuwon, who is an MVP, who has two rings. You look at, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, who's an MVP, has a ring. You look at, you know, other some of these other foreign players. Monte Ginobili is another one that we can kind of look at. You know, uh, six man of the year, four rings. Tony Parker is one of one of the most accomplished point guards in the history of French basketball. And when he comes over here. He quietly had one of the better careers as a point guard in the NBA. You know, like he, there was, there's points in his career where people didn't know who to compare him to because he was just such, you know, his own player. I know you talk about like, okay, the 2005 uh, NBA finals, right? Mm -hmm. 
very key. 2006 Western Conference Finals, very key. He wins the Finals MVP in 2007, right? 2008 has a solid career. 2009 has a solid season. 2010 has a solid season. 2011 has a solid season. He said 2009 solid season. He was on that cover, NBA Live 09. Mm -hmm. And personally, as a Mavs fan, I always thought Tony Parker was pretty underrated. I remember, you know, uh, maybe it was around that 09, 2010 area. He was having games. He was 30 and 10, 25 and 10, these big games. And he was, like, he was a legit MVP candidate until he got injured. So I always thought Tony Parker was a little underlooked. And people like, the, you know, say that argument, you know, Tony Parker being a Hall of Famer. He's he's going to be. But, you know, they kind of add that Hall of Famer as, you know, the be- maybe maybe the best French player ever. I think he's in it with, with if you take the French thing out, if he's just a you know regular American-born player, he's still he's got to be in your top fifteen all time of point guards. And I know we argue about this a lot with other other players. I don't think that there's, I don't think there's an argument at this point. You get four four rings, right? And remember, three makes you legendary. Four is just extra, right? When you hit that four mark, and you knock on the door at five and six, all of a sudden you become you start getting in that top twenty-five. Uh, conversation of all players but when you have four rings as an NBA point guard let's think of some other players who don't have four rings Isaiah Thomas the Pistons doesn't have four rings John Stockton no rings you know Allen Iverson doesn't have any rings Jason Kidd Jason Kidd one ring now you got a guy like Tony Parker who is essential on all four of those championship teams I don't understand how you you don't value that. And here's, here's what's important to me. So you take away the t- title of starter. This doesn't happen to Vince Carter. This doesn't happen to Kobe Bryant. This doesn't happen to Michael Jordan. This would never happen to John Stockton. Why is it happening to Tony Parker? And the argument is, oh, well, he's a spur. And spurs just do this. No, that's not how this works. You don't... Uh, Greg Popovich has done so much for the city of San Antonio, has done so much you know, for the team. He's one of the most accomplished coaches of all time. He's arguably the greatest coach of all time. But this doesn't happen anywhere else, Brendan. I don't see this happening in Milwaukee. I don't see this happening in New York. I don't see this happening anywhere else but San Antonio. Uh, Tony Parker accepted it. He said, hey, I lost my job to a second-year player. You know, And there are, the question is right now, is this the beginning of the end? Uh, I know... Riley- all I, think, I think it's all I think to, uh, from Bleacher Report earlier saying he... Pop came to him. He's He knew the time was coming. He said, you know... Uh, like Manu had to, like Pal is right now. You just know that time's coming. And I guess that maybe helped him accept it, knowing that it's more of a common theme in San Antonio. I, I guess, but I personally, I don't... It's gonna, it's tough for me because, like I said, this is one of those players that's going to be in the Spurs. You can put him in the all-time starting five for a Spur. You put, could put him in the all-time starting five. Honestly, you can put him in the all-time like top ten players of this, like, you know, the 2000s. He could he could be the starting point guard because he had a better career than Derek Fisher. You know, Jason Kidd's up there for a starting point guard. Steve Nash. Steve Nash is up there. But I think Tony Parker gets on that all-time, you know, and not as a starter, but on that all-time 2000s team. So it's just it's difficult to see this, um, you know. It's the beginning of the end, I think. I think that injury last uh, playoffs is really hampering him. You know, he he... His entire career, he was the flashy point guard. He was the guy that up and down the court really quick. He ran the offense really well, uh, the beautiful game. So, you know, it's it's difficult. All right. Now that I kind of kind of used that a little bit to start rallying you up, we're going to get – we'll do this one first, maybe be a little shorter because I, I really want to get into the AFC Championship Yeah, we'll game. get into the AFC Championship game because we have Blake Bortles. Yeah. T- you know, we'll go ahead and, uh, you know, get the tip of the iceberg going right here in the NFC Championship game. You are a proud Vikings fan. Very. I'm the only proud Vikings fan I, left. I've, you know, I'm from North Texas. I've, I don't even know if I'm a Min- real Minnesota fan up there. You're the only one I know down here. Vikings go into Philadelphia and lose to Nick Foles. Get molly-whopped. 
38 to 7. Andrew, I know you you were nervous going into the game. You were nervous the week before. Uh, a lot on the line. You know, it's a trip to the Super Bowl in your own city. Uh, you put a lot of a lot of stock all year in Case Keenum. You you kind of wouldn't listen to me. Uh, and the Eagles, the Eagles, good team. I mean, the Eagles had a backup quarterback come in, and he's doing this right now. So the Eagles just look like a, you know, they they might look like obviously the best team in the NFL. I don't know why the Patriots already opened up as uh, five and a half point favorites. Once again, the Eagles underdogs, despite having you know the best record in the NFL. But the Vikings had the worst defense game of the season. Offense not looking great. Well, what what what's, what kind of thoughts do you want to put out there? All right, so let's break this down from the Vikings fan. So to start the game off, you knew that the punter had only kicked the ball in the end zone twice or once all season, right? And that was in the previous week. Twice in that game, the ball went into the end zone for a touchback on just special teams. And when we broke down how this game was going to go before the game went, I was talking to Brendan. I said, you know, you look at the quarterback, that's a wash. You look at the kind of the defenses. At the beginning, you could say, okay, that was a wash. Clearly, the Minnesota Vikings defense did not show up to play yesterday. Uh, you look at the wide receivers. The Vikings had a little bit of that. You look at the tight end. We kind of argued about it, but we'll say uh, the way that Zach Ertz played last night, he played a lot better than uh, Kyle Rudolph. So we'll give the edge to... Uh, Zach Ertz. Um, so, still, side note, I'm still working on my tight end list. Don't have it finished right now. Next week, I'll have this tight end list for you. I'll have the top 20 tight ends in the league sorted out for you. So, anyway, so you could see it was a wash. I I said 17-14 to start the game. I said I don't think the Vikings pulled this one out. You know, I was trying to be as pessimistic as possible. The Vikings go out, they score the first time down the field. Okay, that's great. Second time, we hold them to a punt. Okay, wow, the Vikings are looking. They're looking pretty good. You got a 7-0 lead. And then, of course, you have the interception, very bad interception by Case Keenum. The Eagles' defense was really able to pressure him, get get him under pressure. Uh, he They get the pick, they score the touchdown, which to me was amazing. I was very impressed by the way that the secondary worked for the Eagles. They played very well on uh, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs all game, so that was really impressive. Uh, the fumble uh, in the red zone, I said on that drive, I said, we can't turn the ball over. You can't turn the ball over uh, with this team. Case Keenum turns the ball over, uh, fumble. Now, I will say this. If that's any other quarterback, that's a pristine quarterback, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, you know, um, Ben Roethlisberger, I think you get two looks at that. I think that, you know, they might have said, hold on, his arm was moving forward a little bit. But at the time, they said, call it a fumble. Eagles go down, score 14-7. to All right. Great. We're still in this game. Uh, defense just didn't show up to play. That's all That's all it really was. Uh I bring this back all the way to week, I want to say week seven or eight, when the Vikings lost to the Lions. The second loss the Vikings had to the Lions, if you win that game, all of a sudden you have home field advantage. This game is being played in Minneapolis instead of in front of those lunatics in Philadelphia. Okay, so it's that's what it really comes down to. I don't want to talk about this anymore. We're not going to talk about this game uh, 20 years from now. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the only game people are going to talk about is that Minnesota miracle. That's what the Vikings fans really should care about right now. Um, it's tough. Uh, Pat Schumer is probably going to end up being the Giants head coach later this week. They said they might announce it later this week. And Ben McAdoo might be our new offensive coordinator. So, you know, how quickly things change. Yeah, and just something – I'm, I'm looking at some of the ESPN stuff here, and I'll uh, scroll down – to the comments, I, I don't really read much comments. I'll read the top one, maybe something. And it's kind of the same thing you said. Minnesota, the way they celebrated after the Saints win, they kind of felt, you know, thought it was a little premature celebration. Uh, you know, first person on this game, ESPN comments, the same thing after that Saints win. Looked like they were celebrating a little too hard. You mentioned that before. So, you know, kind of like the uh, the Steelers did, maybe. You know, they were kind of looked, overlooked the Jags, just kind of felt like it was destiny. 
Well, I don't. I don't, say, I don't think Mike Zimmer let them overlook the Eagles. I just think that you know teams that have that like emotional roller coaster. You can't have that emotional roller coaster in the divisional round. You can't have that emotional roller coaster in the NFC Championship game. And you know, look, look at the Patriots. The Patriots did their work against the Titans. Uh, they did their work against the Jags. This is I'm trying to segue us into the AFC Championship. They did their work, but you saw after that game, Bill Belichick gets handed the AFC Championship trophy and just hands it off to somebody else because he doesn't care. Like this doesn't matter to him. This is all you know the prerequisites to get to that ultimate trophy. He wants to get a six one. Once once you get six, it's over. Like the the debate's done. There was little debate. There was little bit debate left to be had uh, with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. That's over. It's done now. If they win their six one. I don't care who you are. You can live on Mars. When you come down to Earth, we're putting Tom Brady up there. You know, if he and if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, I don't see Bill Belichick leaving. Do you? Uh, personally, I don't know either. It would be interesting. You know, Brady's forty, wants to play until he's forty-five. Believes with his TB12 system and all that, he can. Actually, I heard a really interesting, interesting thing uh, over break. The reason forty-five is his target list is because one of his trainers, the guy he works with, I've got his name, but that uh. And kind of like a doctor, he worked with that voodoo doctor. He worked. He worked with Nolan Ryan, and he no, Nolan Ryan pitched till he's forty five, and he noticed. And most athletes, that's kind of where you start hitting that. Yeah, you no, know, you obviously the downhill slide. You know, Brady hasn't always he hasn't been climbing up this whole entire time, but that's where the, the most drastic turnaround is. About forty five, the body's that's te- and we've deteriorating. About, we've talked about this before. Like the, at at forty years old, you know, he came in the league as a six round pick. The reason he fell to the sixth round was because he wasn't athletic. Like nobody said, like, hey, Tom Brady, what an athlete. You know, he's a slow white quarterback. Nobody wanted this guy. He it came into the perfect system. He came into a Drew Bledsoe system who was built for slow white quarterbacks. So it works out for him. So the drop off athletically has not been there. Now you talk about guys like Brett Favre. You talk about guys like John Elway. You talk about guys like Troy Aikman who were gunslingers, guys that really could throw the ball down the field. Tom Brady's never been that guy. Tom Brady's never been the guy that's like, oh wow, he can really chunk that football. He throws it consistently. He gets it down the field. You know, but how many times we've we been like, wow, like Tom Brady really that Randy Moss years, he was really chunking it down the field. But Randy Moss made a whole lot of catches that, you know, short catches, puts it puts out a little bit in front of him. He didn't have to be perfect. And we, we t- we've talked about his body not, you know, deteriorating because he doesn't take a lot of hits. You talk, all of the guys you just named, Troy Aikman left because of concussions. Brett Favre, if he played a million straight games, took a lot of big hits. A lot of big hits. In his career. Uh, Peyton Manning had the whole neck surgery and, and spinal stuff and all that. So, you know, Brady, yes, he had that uh, ACL tear in 09, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's eight years ago. You see a lot of players. Not 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 knocking down ACL injuries because they're still serious. But we see players come back from ACL injuries in all sports all the time. And Brady's just adapted to it well, knows how to protect himself. And talking about the Patriots, who, uh, I almost said upset. They, they beat the uh, Jaguars twenty-four to twenty, and it almost felt like an upset as the Jaguars were up twenty to ten entering the fourth uh, in the fourth quarter. And that great comeback happened. Uh, I know we were in there pulling for the Jags. I'm a big I'm a big Leonard Fournette fan. Uh, you know I'm an LSU guy. I'm wearing my LSU sweatpants right now. I got the I got one of his shirts from his high school, Booga Nation. So I was riding Leonard Fournette all the way. And the Jags just came up short. It seemed like the Jags almost played a perfect game, but the Patriots' defense in the fourth quarter allows no points, only allows two first downs, and gets Brady the ball back multiple times for a chance to go win the game. And if you give Brady multiple opportunities, he's going to get you eventually. Well, like we were saying, like we, I felt like sitting on our couch, we knew the Patriots were going to come back. We kind of just, you kind of just know. Like, and if they did come, if they didn't come back, well, that's when we would really, you know, hit the panic button. That's when you really have an issue. I, this this Jaguars team, you know, they were only as good as Blake Bortles was going to be good. And Blake Bortles 
played relatively well, but just not well enough. You can't you can't come into Foxborough and have a quarterback like Blake Bortles is what what it really comes down to. When you have the game plan, your entire offense around what your you know issues are of your quarterback, that's when you have issues. When you you can't say like, oh look, the Patriots have a bad run defense and they struggle on third down, uh, preventing the third and shorts. Right, so we can have a quarterback that can do that. No, you have to game plan. Okay, Blake Bortles can't make throws from this point to this point. Blake Bortles can't make throws when the wide receiver says this or this. He can't make yeah. throws down the field. You know, yeah, I definitely saw. I saw that before the game. Uh, how much more dominant Bortles and efficient he was when he was playing with the lead versus when he was trailing. Yeah, like, yeah. We playing, you know, with the lead, looking great. It was, it's pretty much similar to Dak Prescott last year. If if I you know Dak knew how to play with the lead, knew how to protect it, knew how to we also play had a great down, running game. knew how to, yeah great running game and knew down and distance and and uh, that's what they had to do. They made the same mistake the Vikings made against the Saints. They played conservative instead of trying to make big runs. They just were like, okay, we'll get two or three yards. When you say you're going to get two or three yards, you don't make get two or three yards. You get one or two yards. When you say when you you say every play we're driving to score, well then all of a sudden you know. You play risky, you win big. Is essentially what it is. And they didn't play risky, and they lost. They lost. So, a few quick personal notes I'm gonna throw out there before we move on. It was a great game by Blake Bortles, though. Nonetheless, it might have been the game of his career. 23 of 36, 293 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers. Uh, Little Fournette just 76 yards and 24 carries. Shout out my, that play Miles Jack made. We thought that was gonna be play of the game. Turned around when he uh, stripped the ball from James from Dion Lewis, but you know they they turned out to not score in that drive, and it turned around. Uh, Point out that AJ Boye playing the best coverage I've ever seen in the history of football, and the refs calling a flag on it in the sideline, kind of giving that Patriots that first touchdown. And you know, say what you want, refs, Patriots. Also, the interesting what's going to develop if Barry Church gets fined for his hit on Robert Gronkowski that knocked him out of the game, custom. Uh, Patriots said they do expect Gronk to be back from the playoffs. It's two weeks. Well, I mean, for the Super Bowl, it's two weeks, so I kind of expect him to be two. But we've also seen the Patriots win without Gronk, so I don't even know how much that matters anymore. Yeah, they came back. Their entire comeback was Gronk, and I made the hot take. They better without him. They knew they play better without Gronkowski. Moving on to our weekly segment, arguably our favorite segment. Who knows? I don't even know who's keeping count anymore. Pretty sure I won. I'm winning. Our picks. And you got a slate. As you realize, football season's basically over. We're not in the baseball season, so it's, it's a lot of basketball games. So coming up Wednesday, January 23rd. Boston Celtics at the LA Clippers. Boston plays the Lakers the night before on TNT, and then they play the Clippers on ESPN the next day. So back-to-backs national primetime television on the West Coast. Clippers, 23-22. and 22. They're 10-3 and 3 in their last 13 games, pending their game against the T-Wolves tonight. And then Boston is 34-13. and 13. They've lost three straight, all three of those losses at home to the Pelicans, 76ers, and Magic. And they get the Lakers tomorrow. And they get the Lakers tomorrow. What do you make of Boston and the Clippers on Wednesday? I'm going to take Boston. And I'm going to take them in the short because I don't think that they cover any spread. I think this really does come down. Uh, it's going to be a close game. I don't. I don't think that Kyrie Kyrie Irving's been playing very well. But I mean, it. What happened was here's what happened. What happened was the entire season the Boston Celtics were trying. They were trailing the Cavs. Once Gordon Hayward went down, I think. Uh, I think. Celtics fans everywhere were like, "Oh, you know, now we're not. We might not make the playoffs. We might not, you know, get a top five, top five seed." Now they have the lead, and the Cavs are falling apart. And you know, it's hard to it's hard to get up in the morning for a January game uh, when you clearly have you clearly are the best team in the conference. So I, I'm taking the Celtics in this game. Uh, most and here's the other reason because I think if the Clippers lose, DeAndre Jordan trade happens a little sooner. Interesting. Also. 
I'll try to find some of these spreads on these NBA games. A lot harder when they're days in advance. But here's an interesting matchup. You know, this is also going to be another primetime game on Thursday. The 26 and 20 Washington Wizards at the 26 and 20 Oklahoma City Thunder. The Wizards play the Mavericks on Monday night, and then they'll be off until that Thursday game. OKC will host Brooklyn on Tuesday, and then they'll play the game on Thursday. And OKC's won four straight. Washington three and two in their last five. John taking, Wall, Russell Westbrook. I'm taking, I'm taking the Thunder. The Thunder have been playing a whole lot better uh, with this lineup. Watch for Steven Adams because he really has been playing out of his mind, in my opinion. He's more of an offensive threat this year than any other year. And definitely against uh, Marcin Gortat, I give the advantage to Adams. Flipping into the one college game I have on here is, by the way, this is a big weekend college basketball, it looked like. There's a uh, the SEC Big 12 kind of showcase, so I think it's like eight or nine SEC teams are playing Big 12 teams. A lot of good other matchups there to check out. But the one, this is an ACC game I circled on Saturday at one. Number two, Virginia Cavaliers at the number five, Blue, uh, <laughs> Duke Blue Devils. At the number five, Duke Blue Devils. Virginia, you know, they're kind of old school, hard defense, low scoring team. They score about 70 per game. They only give up 52 per game. More of a, a system because they've been like this for the past few years with uh, Coach Bennett. Whereas Duke, uh, I saw someone say they play more for draft status, you know, more for individual talent. They average 92 points a game. You know, there's just, it's, it's kind of like a system against talent. Number five, Duke, hosting number two, Virginia. Saturday from Cameron Yards. Who do you got? So here's the thing. I like, I like the Duke Blue Devils in this game, but I like Virginia to win the ACC. I think Virginia wins the ACC. I think they get the better seeding in the March, in March Madness. I think Duke doesn't, I don't think they make a run this year. I, I they might get to the Sweet 16, but I don't see them getting, the, well, Okay, the Sweet 16 is the floor. The Elite Eight's the ceiling. I don't see them getting much farther than that. And then we're going to go back to the NBA before we shift to a different sport in the NBA. Saturday, I brought them back, the Boston Celtics, but they'll be at the Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors. They're on that West Coast trip. Golden State Warriors. Lakers, Clippers, Warriors in a span of four days. (laughs) They'll be at Golden State. Golden State Warriors. There's no question. And also, that would be the first... uh, Saturday ABC primetime game of the season. Oh, I look forward to that. But no, the Warriors that you you can't bet against them at this point. So Warriors. Yeah, just that's just a tough trip, Boston. You got Lakers one night, Clippers the next night, two nights, and then uh, the Warriors. I would not be. Sh- I, I imagine not, they have Sacramento somewhere in there. It would not Denver. shock me if they went over three on that. I'm not kidding. Like I have them beating the Clippers. I think they can beat the Clippers. I'm picking the clip or I'm picking the Celtics. But if you told me, hey, they end up zero and three, it would not shock me at this point. All right, then a game I'm sure you are just ecstatic about on Sunday. Any guesses? The Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl. AFC, NFC Pro Bowl. Still waiting on rosters to be finalized. I can tell you the AFC won't have Tom Brady, and the NFC won't have any Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know what's going on. I saw a report today. I'm pretty sure Adam Thielen was a Pro Bowler, but then apparently he was playing with fractured fractures in his back yesterday. Yeah, he So took, I imagine he, he won't be there. He took a pretty, pretty, pretty big hit uh, on that back. So, I mean, okay. Uh, we'll take NFC. None of this matters. <laughs> NFC. NFC won last year. Uh, I think they hold the all-time record. They've got some... I don't, I don't know. I can't even name you what's the... I, I imagine there'll be a few Cowboys you know on there. Take, you know what I'm taking the NFC? I'm taking the NFC because Alvin Kamara. Because that guy is rookie. I think he shows out. I think that he forgets that this is, you know, just for giggles. And has a type of, like, an Adrian Peterson type Pro Bowl. You know where AP would just run over people. And don't forget, the day before on Saturday, you get those skill games. I saw one of my favorite players in the leagues is Patrick Peterson. He's tweeting he's going to be one of the skills competitions. Saw some other names in there. I don't know what they're about. I know sometimes they do them. They're lame. Sometimes they do some that look all right. So interesting to see what they do. 
we're pushing up on this, so I want to get to this last uh, segment. And this is the segment talking about when it's okay to wear your jerseys. Because I'm kind of curious when I can break out the uh, Minnesota Vikings jersey again. I'm thinking a week after the Super Bowl, I think it's okay to wear the Vikings jerseys again. Uh, but I think if your team didn't make the playoffs, you can wear your jerseys right about now. If like I saw one girl wearing her Washington Redskins hoodie. Like, I mean, I'm not going to hate on somebody for being a Washington Redskins fan. Your team didn't make the playoffs. You've, you've been cold these last three weeks. I don't think it matters. Yeah, uh, my bus driver today, he's wearing a Denver Bronco hat. And I'm like, you know, I can be mad at that. You can still support your team. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't wear my Cowboy jersey often. I wear my Ranger jersey more normally. And that was when it was Hugh Darvish. So I've been holding off on that one a little bit lately. But I just don't wear it as much anymore around here because we're surrounded by so many Houston fans still. I'll still catch stuff in them. You know, if I'm up in North Texas and Fort Worth area, it's fine if I wear it. I'm catching no heat. Around here, I don't even feel like dealing with Parker and Reed. So let's break down Houston sports really quickly because I want to break this down. So you look at the Astros. They've won what? Maybe they've won maybe 700 games over the last like seven years. You think that's pretty fair? So you've lost more games than you've won in the last 10 year stretch. Okay. So don't come at me with how bad my team played last last night, especially when we played in the you know championship game. You know the Astros win. Congratulations to them. But you only get to hold on to that for so long. None of us can even remember who won the championship four years ago. So it doesn't matter that you won this. Nobody cares. You look at the Houston Texans. They lost more games than they won this year. They had the fourth overall pick. But psych, they don't have the fourth overall pick because they gave Brock Osweiler so much money that they had to send him to Cleveland and they had to give away their first-round pick to keep, to just get get rid of him. So you don't have a first-round pick this year and your team's terrible. Also, your They're, best... Your wait, best wait, 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 actually, no, they don't have a first... Or I know they have one of their second. In the Brock Osweiler trade, they gave him a second. That first was for Deshaun Watson. So they might not have a first or second in this upcoming draft. You, your best player is J.J. Watt. He can't stay on the field because he's un, he's injury prone. He, so you don't know what you're going to get out of him. Deshaun Watson's torn his ACL twice. Look at RG3. He can't do much. Look at the Houston Rockets. And this is the one that really bothers me the most. You know, they made it to the conference final, what, three years ago now? Made it to the conference final three years ago now with Dwight Howard, James Harden. Nothing worked out. The next year you think, oh, James Harden's the MVP. No. That doesn't work. Last year, you lose to the San Antonio Spurs, who were having a great year. But had a great year, but James Harden I mean, didn't show up. I mean, you lost because 39-year-old Monty Ginobili blocks James Harden in the game when he shot it. Then they get blown out in Game 7. Exactly. So now you look at uh, their, this team this year, and James Harden and Chris Paul and all of them think that they have a shot against the Golden State Warriors. They, they're 2-0 right now in the regular season. Regular season doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters in the playoffs. And when the Golden State Warriors go 16 and 0 in the playoffs again, like almost again this year, it, it won't matter. And it's not going to be fun for Houston Rockets fans. It's not going to be fun for Houston Astros fans when that franchise just falls apart again. The wheels—you can't sustain this level of greatness for more than two years if you're a Houston fan. So KTSW Houston, it's tough to be you. That's going to yeah. do it for us at the Riding the Pine podcast. You can listen to Bobcat Radio every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can check out this podcast every single Tuesday. We have the greatest and latest in sports news. And you're going to have to listen to the updates on Fridays because my boy B's on them. Also, check in. Make sure we tell the Bobcat. At radios every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, eleven to noon. I will be on the Friday show with Houston. Uh, I don't know what to call them the Houston Kings and Reed Graff and Parker Ray. I'll be a Dallas guy fighting two Houston fans on that show. So that Friday show, hopefully some sparks fly. It'll be tough. Thanks for listening.